It's Friday, May 14th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. The CDC has updated its guidance saying fully vaccinated people no longer need to wear masks indoor or physically distanced regardless of crowd size. Only a few instances remain where you might need the mask. The reason for this announcement is that the vaccines have been shown to work in the real world, protect against variants, and vaccinated people are less likely to transmit the virus. Marisa Fernandez, healthcare reporter at Axios, joins us for the latest from the CDC. Next, if you're trying to buy a new car right now, you might not find what you're looking for. A shortage of computer chips is driving up prices and leaving dealerships with less cars to offer. The chips are used for everything from safety systems to brakes and engines. Nora Naughton, auto industry reporter at The Wall Street Journal, joins us for more. Finally, it's time to relax if you're fully vaccinated. You can really start to ease the worry about your COVID risk. Many public health experts agree the risk of the virus has greatly diminished for those that have gotten their vaccine. New daily cases, hospitalizations, and deaths are declining. And in the instance that you do catch the virus after your shot, the symptoms will likely be much milder. Herman Lopez, senior correspondent at Vox, joins us for why the vaccine is the best way to start moving beyond the pandemic. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Anyone who is fully vaccinated can participate in indoor and outdoor activities, large or small, without wearing a mask or physical distancing. If you are fully vaccinated, you can start doing the things that you had stopped doing because of the pandemic. Joining us now is Marisa Fernandez, healthcare reporter at Axios. Thanks for joining us, Marisa. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, the good news keeps coming for those that are fully vaccinated The CDC has now announced new guidance saying that anyone who is fully vaccinated can participate in indoor and outdoor activities without wearing a mask, physically distancing, regardless of the crowd size. So very good news there. Marisa, what did we hear out of the CDC on this? So the CDC basically has initiated what public health officials and scientists have been saying, which is that there's a growing amount of evidence that says that vaccinated people One, don't have to worry about wearing masks because they are less likely to spread the virus if they ever contract it. So they're asymptomatic. That means they are not able to transmit the virus to people who are in more vulnerable states. So immunocompromised people, even children. And then also it stands up to the variant. So those are like the main questions that the CDC says that they were working on to try and figure out before they would let people have a little more relaxed guidance. Now, there were a few caveats. In certain settings, they say that you should still be wearing a mask. What what were those? So the caveats were that if travel is something that you are very excited about doing uh, without a mask, you're going to have to wait a little uh, while longer. So any train stations, airports, and then any public transportation, airplanes, those uh, mask requirements are still in place. And then that also accounts for people who are in healthcare settings, nursing homes, correctional facilities, homeless shelters, basically just like mass populations of people that have been known to be super spreader populations before. And then also one thing that I think is really important to note is that the CDC's guidance is not necessarily something that's going to be super effective in our daily lives, right? Because states 
and local governments usually enable mask mandates. So if you're in a state that has lifted their mask mandate a few weeks ago or has been starting to lift restrictions, this doesn't really apply to you because that's something that you've already been used to. CDC is trying to kind of catch up on their guidance to make sure that people have the right information and the scientific data to follow and kind of make their own personal assessment and their own risk assessments. But most people are going to be looking for their local and state governments when it comes to mass guidance and public health. That's going to cause a little bit of confusion, I think, because uh, as you mentioned, a lot of states have already eased those restrictions. A lot of states haven't. And businesses still require them in certain cases. So you know, you might get a few people saying, hey, well, CDC said I don't need to wear it anymore. You know, the business rules still say you do. So there might be some confusion there, uh, a few fights breaking out about that stuff. So we'll see how that happens. But I'm sure the states are going to kind of catch up to the new guidance on that pretty soon. A lot of this, uh, people have been saying this, just a response to the administration, and the CDC kind of lagging on giving this guidance. Like uh, They should have been on this a little bit sooner. This is something that the CDC has been known for for several administrations, right? This is not something that is just about the Biden administration playing catch up with some lack of trust that happened during the Trump administration. You know, this is something that they've been conservative on a lot of issues. And in their mind, this makes sense to bring out this guidance now because they feel confident within the past couple of weeks, they've had three studies, two American studies and one study from Israel that really shows that vaccinated people are able to be protected, but also not harm others who are unvaccinated. Marisa Fernandez, healthcare reporter at Axios. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much. All this smart stuff that has been powering our lives since we've all had to shutter ourselves up at home, suddenly in extremely high demand. And you know what's sort of at the bottom of that list in terms of priorities for the chip makers? is cars. Joining us now is Nora Naughton, auto industry reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Nora. Thanks for having me. Nora, we had previously talked about the used car market and how you know you're, you can expect to pay more for whatever you're trying to buy and have fewer options as far as what you want to get. When we talked about that, one of the reasons why the used car market was uh, so crazy right now is this chip shortage that's impacting new cars. So uh, you wrote a piece kind of regarding that where a lot of manufacturers have had to pause making their cars because they can't get these chips installed. And these chips do everything from... Uh, braking systems, uh, you know, you name it, the cars run on these uh, computer chips now. So, Nora, tell us a little bit about how this is impacting new car sales. It's impacting new car sales quite a bit. So one of the dealers I talked to actually woke up in a cold sweat at 3.30 in the morning because he was going to head into the summer selling season, Memorial Day, it's just around the corner, with 98 cars on his lot, usually has 700. (laughs) And Even among those 98 vehicles, there's all of these options that are missing on some of the most popular and most expensive vehicles because of the chip shortage. So he's a Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram dealer. And what that company has started doing is 
saying, okay, what can we build without the chip? Can we get rid of a key fob per car? Can we get rid of the blind spot detection, stuff like that? Then someone drops 60000 on a, a brand new pickup truck without blind spot. And it's like, what the heck? That's one of the craziest parts that I found out through reading through your article about that is, yeah, they're trying to cut those corners, which I guess it makes sense, right? We don't have the chips available. Let's still get new cars out there. But yeah, for the consumer thinking that this is all going to come as part of the package, something that would normally be installed in your car, yeah, you're not getting your money's worth at that point. So that leads to more problems. Now you have pissed off consumers. There's a lot of people that I've talked to in the last few weeks that dip their toe into the car market and then suddenly realize, like, I got to get out of here. So what we talked about last time with the used car sales, you can get a whole lot of money for your used car right now. But the flip side of that equation is that new cars are also insanely expensive. So it really all comes out in the wash. I talked to a guy who has a a two-year-old or three-year-old Jeep Wrangler that like the apps like Carvana and Broom were going to pay more than the 50,000 he paid for it. And he was like all jacked up about it. (laughs) Then he looks at what a new Wrangler would cost. And it's, he's still paying $20,000 more. It's yeah. crazy. <laughs> What's at the center of the chip shortage? Is it just uh, supply chain issues due to the pandemic? What's playing out there? It's this sort of perfect storm of issues. There was the pandemic, which put a choke on a lot of different supply chains across a ton of industries because factories had to close. People could not gather like that last year. So then you have, we learn how to go back to work with masks and social distancing and testing and the factories through the end of last year were all just humming and working overtime and trying to catch up with all this lost production. And then on the other side, there's all these lifestyle changes related to the pandemic. People are using things that chips are required for much more often every day. I mean, your phone, your computer, your TV, all this smart stuff that has been powering our lives since we've all had to shutter ourselves up at home. Suddenly, in extremely high demand. And you know what's sort of at the bottom of that list in terms of priorities for the chip makers is cars. Wow. <laughs> so that's that's why the auto industry sort of gets the short end of the stick here. And, you know, uh, throughout the pandemic, it was kind of a course in supply chain issues from top to bottom. Really, every industry kind of got affected by this. What you realize is how delicate these industries really are. When something gets thrown out of whack, it kind of affects everything. So what we're seeing is, in some cases, these car manufacturers are still building those cars and then just parking a lot of these unfinished cars in a big lot, airplane hangars, whatever, wherever they can find the space, and waiting for those chips to come in. People that are buying cars might have to wait a few months before they can get delivery on it because they're waiting for these chips. And then beyond that, the people that are making the cars, working in these manufacturing centers their work has been put on hold now because they just can't really move forward without these chips in a lot of cases. So really everybody across the board is getting affected. Everyone that the auto industry touches, which in the United States is most people, is affected by this. There are factory workers out of work. And again, because of the pandemic, things like unemployment benefits that the unionized workers do have access to are much harder to access because they're overrun. And consumers can't find the car they want when they do. It costs a lot more money, and it might not have all the features you want on it. If it's a GM truck, it also might have worse gas mileage. (laughs) Uh, It's really crazy 
you know, the way that this is playing out. And then on top of that, you know, the dealers, they have been walking this really narrow tightrope for the last few months. And they've come out okay for the first four months of the year, making a lot of profits on lower volume. But we're reaching a point where there just aren't any cars left. And we're in this market that we had a 19 million SAR, which is a seasonally annualized rate of selling. So if the selling rate that we had in April continued for the rest of the year, we'd sell 19 million cars. That's pretty much unheard of. Nora Naughton, auto industry reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. The safest thing for the country is for everyone to get vaccinated. And getting vaccinated is easier than ever. Joining us now is Herman Lopez, senior correspondent at Vox. Thanks for joining us, Herman. Yeah, thanks for having me. Wanted to talk about when everybody can start relaxing now with this whole COVID-19 thing. We're getting uh, some uneven messaging from the administration and CDC officials as far as like once you've been vaccinated how much you can relax, how much of the precautions you've been taking you can relax. Because we're still saying, uh, we're still hearing, still wear your mask in crowded areas and all that. And in certain cases, you know, you still want to practice all the social distancing and and all. But by and large, health experts uh, that you've talked to throughout the pandemic, you've reached out back to a lot of them, and a lot of them no longer really worrying about their own risk of COVID-19 after they've been vaccinated. And I think that's important, right? Everybody's selling the vaccine as that big way to get back to normal. And for these health experts that have already done it, they feel like they can uh, kind of rest easy a little bit more now. So, Herman, tell us a little bit more about the conversations you've been having with these health experts. Yeah, so I was kind of stumped. Uh, some of the stuff you alluded to there in terms of like the administration's messaging, also some of the broader public health messaging. I mean, just depending on who you're talking to, you can get very different messages on what the vaccine allows you to do. So I figured, look, if anybody knows the answer to this, it would be the public health experts. And I wanted to see like, like, okay, how are you dealing with this personally? Like, how have you changed your behaviors? And Time and time again, the the response is almost unanimous. Like, look, I'm not worried about my personal risk anymore. I will go to a restaurant. I'll go to a movie theater. Most of them have talked about, like, uh, doing those kinds of activities, but also some of them, like, bringing older relatives over, like their parents or their grandparents or their children, right? So, like, who were also vaccinated, and now they're no longer worried about the risk of, like, infecting them because they're vaccinated and also their parents are vaccinated. So, overall, it's just this very, very constant theme of, look, we are not worried about our personal risk. And to the extent that they do have some precautions, like still follow some precautions like masking or social distancing still, it's because they're worried about others who aren't vaccinated yet. And perhaps even if you are vaccinated, we're still seeing this in the research, like it's still being worked out in the research, you might still be able to infect people with COVID. So that's their only concern now. They're no longer worried about the personal risk, but potentially the risk to others. Uh, You mentioned kind of why somebody would still be practicing some of these precautions. You know, a lot of people said it's just kind of habit. You know, after doing this for a whole year of intense protection, mask wearing, social distancing, washing the hands, everything, it's kind of hard to break some of those habits. And a lot of people also, you know, remained healthy throughout, you know, no flu, no, you know, the flu season was almost non-existent this time around because of all these safety precautions. 
personally, especially after reporting this story, I'm vaccinated. I've been vaccinated for enough time to like consider myself fully vaccinated too. And I'm still a little nervous about going to into restaurants. And it's not because I think there's an actual risk to myself anymore. Like logically, of course not. I mean, that's all kind of the point of the vaccine. If you just think about it, that's literally why it's there. It's just, I, I need to break that habit. And, and I heard that from experts as well. It's like, look, the like, hum, like it turns out these people are humans too. So I think it's important context. It was when you like ask like Anthony Fauci, for example, like what he's still doing in terms of dealing with COVID, like what precautions he's following. It's important to keep in mind that he's a human too, on top of being an expert and like somebody who's advising the White House. I mean, he's also has like <laughs> these habits that he developed in the past year as well. So when you hear cautious messaging, when you ask people as individuals what they're doing, it's important to ask, like, why? Like, is that because you feel like you're personally at risk or because of a risk to others? Maybe there's something else going on, like uh, breaking a habit. And uh, I found that really illustrative in this piece. Also, just the fact that some people are actually going to continue masking up through the winter seasons, at least in the future, just because, I mean, it seemed to help fight the flu this past year. Maybe it can help fight the flu in, in future years as well. What did they say when it came to things like variants or breakthrough cases, people that uh, have contracted COVID even after getting vaccinated? And then, uh, you know, kind of the whole thing, too, it, it helps reduce transmission rates, all of that. What, what did they have to say with those aspects of it? Yeah, there, there, there are a few things there, but like one is the variants. There have now been studies done with these vaccines, testing them against different variants. And even against the ones that do seem to evade immunity better, the vaccines are still effective, particularly at eliminating the risk of severe disease, hospitalization, and death. So with these variants, what might happen, since some of them are better at evading immunity, what might happen is you might get like cold symptoms, like, you know, mild symptoms if you get one of them. But if you're vaccinated, chances are you are not going to see like a like you're not going to end up in a hospital. You're not going to die, which I think is what most people are worried about. Right. Like most people are not locking down, masking up just because they're worried about the flu. They're doing it because they're worried about like the serious repercussions of COVID. So that's what the variants and, and the studies there have been really promising. And that, that expert said, like, look, I'm, I'm personally just not that worried about the variants we've seen so far developing into like something much more serious that, that makes me change my own personal risk account. <laughs> In terms of the risk of transmission overall, we've also seen some research suggesting that, look, these vaccines do seem to reduce the risk that you'll transmit COVID to others. Say if you're vaccinated and you manage to pick up the virus, you probably won't see any symptoms because you're vaccinated, but there, the worry was that you'd still be able to transmit it to others. So far, the CDC did one of these studies as well, and like based on real-world evidence, the vaccine actually does reduce the rate of transmission. The thing is, it's like, we need much more evidence to like make sure that's actually right. And especially in science and public health, these are cautious people. Right. Science moves slowly. There are researchers who want to make sure that all this data is right. So they're like still recommending like masking up, social distancing when possible. Like if, if you're in a situation essentially where it's a low cost to do one of these things, why not do it? If there's any risk at all, the chances are, it seems that the, the vaccines do actually stop or prevent and reduce the chances of transition, but we just need more data to verify that. Herman Lopez, senior correspondent at Vox. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, thanks all for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. 
leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.